0: This is the Daily Coaching Podcast, bringing you thoughts, discussions and expert insight into all things football and coaching.
1: When you come through Wimbledon, especially growing up in and around London, it's, it's the best club to come through. You go from street football to professional football. And for me, he was a, he was a fantastic manager, Gerard Hille. He was absolutely fantastic.
0: Today's episode we are joined by another legend of the game, ex-professional footballer and current media industry expert Nigel Ryokoka. We discuss his journey in the game and some of those key moments, the first steps he took to getting into football. We also look at some of the perceptions of coaches and players alike. And for me it's really clear now to see why he's been a captain at so many clubs he's a leader, he's passionate, he's knowledgeable, and I can't wait for you to get some of this insight, whether you're a player or a coach. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. everybody and welcome to Daily Coaching. So Daily Coaching are currently hosting a series where we're talking with current and ex-professionals of the game Um, and I'm absolutely delighted today to announce that we have a legend of the game joining us on this discussion. We have Nigel Ryokoka. Uh, Nigel Ryokoka has played for numerous teams along Wimbledon, Aston Villa, West Ham, um, and a few teams within the MLS as well. Um, so first of all, Nigel, massive thank you for joining us here today um, and on this topic of conversation. Um, and Nigel, if you can, just start talking us off around how you kind of got involved within football um, and kind of bringing us up to what you're currently
1: doing today. Um, it's just from the earliest days as a kid, like everyone else, you know, used to run around just playing in the streets back in the days when... Uh,
2: we didn't have to worry
1: as much, used to play uh, 60 seconds with a tennis ball yeah. and you could only score with a volley and stuff. And it's just from just straight street football, wherever you could play football, you just played. Uh, just loved the game. Then I joined a local Sunday team uh, Short and Athletic, which was good. And then obviously when you start getting more into it, you start to learn because at that time it was playing for a Sunday team. Then it would be representing the borough then the county, and then obviously maybe England schools. So when I was playing for Carl Shorten, I always wanted to represent the and I got to represent Croydon, then played for Surrey. And this was way before kind of academies were started. And there were some professional teams with obviously youth teams. And that was the the dream was to join a professional team, you know, to be part of a professional team. And the funny thing that happened to me is um, I got scouted by Fulham when I was younger. And I remember my manager telling me, look, the Fulham scouts here spoke to the Fulham scout after the game and then waiting for a phone call, so excited, thinking I'm going to go to Fulham training and finally be associated with a professional club at the time. Then I get a phone call from a Wimbledon scout who was at the game. So it completely took me off guard and ended up going to Wimbledon, started training with Wimbledon. And that all as well was actually, I got rejected by Crystal Palace before all of that occurred. So then I went to Wimbledon um, Best way to sum up Wimbledon from under 15s up is just it's for me, it's, it's the it's there's no better football club to come through. You know, obviously, you're going to have the likes of the Man Use the Chelsea's the Arsenals with the history of those clubs and stuff like that. But when you come through Wimbledon, especially growing up in and around London, it's, it's the best club to come through. You know, it, it really had that family togetherness, hard work ethic, but one kind of brotherhood if that makes sense. So we came through the structure there. And it's just, for me, again, I wouldn't change the world of coming through Wimbledon. Then you make it as a professional. You know, that's, for me, the easy part is to make it as a professional, but then you've got to stay there and it's maintaining that. So you see the stories and the old coaches and the managers will give you advice and say, right, you've made it as a pro, but now you've got to stay there, you know, to be respected. In the long term in the game, you've got to stay there and maintain this high level of performance for as long as you can, when people can actually give you your roses, so to speak, to say, you know what, he is a Premier League player, or, you know, depending on what level you play at. Um, again, when you make it as a pro, there was a chance where I nearly went, when we administration, I nearly went to Portsmouth, where well, I, I went, met Harry Redknapp, signed the signed contract and everything, thinking I'm going to be a Portsmouth player. And then the administrator at the time didn't have a clue who the young players were at the club and what was what. And I think someone told him about myself and then he pulled the plug on that deal. So then I didn't go to Portsmouth. But then I got bought by West Ham, obviously. Had great years at West Ham, left West Ham. (laughs) Went to uh, Aston Villa. Good time at Aston Villa as well. Um, And then from Aston Villa, it was difficult I went, did one year at Bolton, which was good. And then after that is when really football started to change and the dynamic changed. of obviously free transfers and a lot of players playing and it started to become so much of a numbers game. And then this whole silly belief that once you're 30, that you can't, you've passed it. And it's all younger players that come through now. And then from then went to the MLS, had a bit of an adventure there, played for um, Vancouver Whitecaps. And then, um, chivas before they folded and they became the new lafc and i went to montreal and then from montreal i'll probably say the rest of it isn't really that important it was just <laughs> trying to still pursue a dream and play but it never kind of featured and then now i'm just more so doing more um, media and commentary work more so i've been doing a lot of uh, the copper libertador more so i've been doing a uh, coverage of the copper libertadores which has been quite interesting. So you watch a different dynamic of football and, you know, how players from Latin America play the game and approach the game. But there's there's some great talent coming through Brazil and some of the teams I've seen.
0: Nice. I, I think this is, again, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here because you've had such a... Um, covered sort of career where you've been at different teams obviously playing over in America as well obviously like you said now you're doing the media work where you're looking at more of the South American teams and I think it's important I think a lot of people underestimate that experience of number one playing in different environments but also just watching the game in these different elements as well because like you said a lot of people don't put enough respect almost on like you said the South American League say for example they'll think you know the Premier League and the league are other places to be but like you said the talent coming through from America alone I mean you've seen in recent years like you know your Tyler Adams your Alfonso Davies um, and like you said obviously there's a lot of talent over in South America as well but um, just before we get into kind of your um, you know your professional career into sort of the the men's teams and the first professional teams um, when you come through the sort of like youth systems and also like you said coming from an area from Southeast London or South London you know there's a ray of talent there and I think it's in a way we're kind of fortunate because I grew up in South London as well and I say we're fortunate because there's such a cluster of teams there that yeah. you, know, you, you almost have a, a few different opportunities whereas like you said say for example in the Manchester there's only a few but how was that coming through was there quite a lot of competition for places in these academies and you know did you have to kind of compete with other people to get in there?
1: There was competition, but still at the time, football wasn't really seen as a good long term profession, still in our generation of our time. You know, I've come from an African background, so the only way I was allowed to play football was keeping up my schoolwork. And I know my mum would have rather me be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant than (laughs) a footballer. But when we were coming through this, there wasn't the the amount of numbers of kids playing football as there is now in the academies, and obviously, population growth plays a part. So, Everyone was kind of aware of the talented kids because there wasn't that many playing. So everyone knew that the the kids who were... We knew about kids from Liverpool and Manchester. We were based in London because the few were talented or the names everyone was talking about to be the next superstars, everyone kind of knew. So it was competitive in a way where the managers and the coaches made it competitive. And, you know, they'll drop little gems of... One of the famous quotes for one of our coaches, uh, Carlton Fairweather, was he's not paying your mortgage, which basically, means, yes, you're together, friends, in but you're still competing for that one contract. You know, you get told in the dressing room, out of all of you here, and that could be, how I many of us, maybe 15, 20-something us in the dressing room, out of all of you here, you'd be lucky if three of you make it to have a long-term career. And that was just the reality of, it, of the competitive nature, but they were very realistic with it, and um, in a good way.
0: Yeah of course I, I think it's interesting because even from the start where you mentioned about like you know playing like your, your 60 second games and you know playing games like Wembley as well where literally you know there's no rules there's no bibs it doesn't look like you know a typical session or whatever you just go along with a ball anywhere not even to a park you know it could be on a street corner anywhere it is and you just love playing the game it's so much fun but then not that you lose the enjoyment of it because obviously we love playing football but it changes, doesn't it, the dynamic? Because, like you said, obviously, then you go into, like, say, for example, an academy where you know you've just come from an environment of, like, say, Sunday league, where you're playing with friends and you're enjoying it. Then it's almost like, oh, there's a bit of pressure here. I could potentially become a footballer when you're in these academies, and then you get to that like first team level. How how does that change, and how do you have to deal with that as a as a, as a player?
1: I wouldn't say it really changed. i would just think from our generation coming through, like you said. The reality of it is this this, 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 the best way to break it down is you go from street football to professional football. That's just the real reality. So you go from playing in the streets, all about nutmegs and skills and X, Y and Z, and then you go to a professional level where all of that doesn't count for nothing. It's about winning at a professional level because it's your livelihood. So it's just a bit more maturity sense and it's understanding the breakdown of what's expected from you in your position but also being coached to understand what the top players do. And I think that's what's great. That was what was great at Wimbledon. That was when I felt that coaches really coached. I think now the terminology of coach and manager has just got diluted in in the substance of it because a lot of managers don't actually really physically manage and coach their players, which was something that happened probably a lot more in our generation where... They'll coach you and teach you and show you exactly what you want, what they want, and coach you to understand the game or what's expected from you in your position, but also show you what the world-class players do in your position, what makes them get that world-class stamp because of what they do. So I think a lot more um, that transition for me was good. And again, it's, it's a lot of credit to the Wimbledon Academy. You know, the way that they coach there and the way that they taught kids and got them to understand, it was fantastic. And I think with Wimbledon, The general feeling that I got from there was they're going to coach you to be the best player you can be. They'll coach you to understand the game of football. And then where you take it from there is down to you. But they will definitely coach you to a level of a very good professional level. And then whichever way or direction your career takes you, the rest is up to you.
0: Yeah, of course. I, I think you mentioned a major point there about the whole thing of, especially what you see nowadays as well, is that, like I agree, there's not as much coaching in the game. And I think even the bit you mentioned earlier on about like, you know, managers will typically see somebody at a certain age and think, right, well, you know, you can't do anything else and that's you now as a player. But, you know...
1: And, and sorry to talk to on that, but that for me is the biggest amount of problems because you've seen it with certain players. Yeah. You look at Triore. Triore is basically a hundred meter sprint. Yeah. Right. If he knew how to use his pace and understood the game from a different level, there'll be no one that can live with him. Every team yeah. will need to double up on him. They'll have to triple up on him.
2: Yeah. But
1: that comes with coaching. And I heard that obviously when he was under Tony Pulis, he took him to a side and did extras with him constantly to get him to understand. And that all comes from the coaching aspect. And I think obviously everyone talks about Raheem Sterling now. But Raheem Sterling probably wouldn't be Raheem Sterling of how he is now without Pep Guardiola. And I know people who've played for Pep. They said sometimes he can be a bit too much, but he coaches. He puts players in position. He gets them to understand. He watches video and gets them to watch video to understand. So that's credit to actual coaches who go out there and coach. There's a lot of managers who have a real mentality now of, oh, if he's played over 150 games, then he should know the game, which for me is... The biggest BS. If one of the greatest players who've played the games, Zinedine Zidane,
2: yeah. said
1: football, you never stop learning, which is so true. You never stop learning in football. The time when you feel you've learned it or learned it now is the time when you shouldn't play football no more. Because I feel you can always continue to learn. You might not agree with certain things, but you can still learn. And it's always about development. I think sometimes now, in my personal belief, I think that a lot of people say things in football and do things in football just to be different, where they're trying too hard to reinvent the wheel, when really you can see and recognise talent in kids, but it's how do you get the kid to understand what it means to play at a professional level? How do you get him to see himself as, OK, I want to be like Cristiano Ronaldo. OK, when you watch Cristiano Ronaldo, what do you see? What does he do? Yeah. You know, what does he do consistently? And it's things like that. I feel as part of the coaching aspect where you can actually coach individual kids and get them to understand the game at a deeper level and really push themselves.
0: Yeah, totally. I think as well, like I said, a lot of coaches nowadays, were well, two things. Number one, they'll go through their education as a coach. So maybe, say, for example, 10, 20 years. And it's all about, again, the development, learning, and it's all the emphasis on developing the players. And then when they go into a first-team position, that all of a sudden they just forget all about that. And they just think, you know, like you said, that, some, someone's at a certain level or a certain stage of their career, so they must know everything. But obviously, as you said, it's true. That's incorrect. And I think the other element of it as well is that so many times coaches are in their own zone and they kind of think, well, my idea is the best way to go about things. So they don't understand, like you said, understand of that breakdown of the player as an individual. And you know, like you said, n- you never stop learning because not every player has been in every single scenario. Um, I always yeah. talk about the when, where's and why's. Like that for me is almost just as almost such more important than the how. The coach is totally focused on the how, how to do this, how to do that. But unless we're giving these players decisions and opportunities to make decisions, you know, when you, they like said, when you come into these first team professional levels, what do they do? Because they only know one way of doing things or, you know, they have the, 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 the vision, vision of kind of, this is how I do it, but I don't know what to do with deal with the situation almost.
1: I think it's 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 good because I think with a lot of coaching, I think the reality of it is it doesn't change. Like football's been going on for so long. The fundamental basics of what comes with football will never change. Yeah. And like you said there, I I'm I'm someone that's a big fan of that. I always believe in giving players responsibility. Because if you don't give them responsibility, whether it's outside of football or you know, in their own personal life, they're not going to take responsibility if you're on a football pitch. Yeah. So again, it all stems from if you get into this position, being very clear and precise with your messaging from top to bottom with your staff and your coaching, you know, and it's letting them say, look, everyone played football for the love of the game. That's something that you want players to still have when they're and express themselves. Asking a player to work hard isn't something that you should should have to do anymore on this level now, whichever level you're looking at. That's a, that's a norm. Yeah. But getting them to Express themselves in the right way of the reason why you played football like a child. That's the more personal connection where a manager really has to know the player in a little bit more personal level to kind of see how the best way to get him to express himself for your benefit, yeah. take off the shackles and away from. Because if you look at the modern day football now, a lot of it for me, I, I personally believe it's so robotic. Like we're missing characters and personality again. Yeah, I think right now probably the best personality we see is probably Jack Grealish yeah Um, he's actually releasing himself and being fun and it's sad that you know you look how good the Premier League is but you talk about how great some players are but there's so many lacking personalities out there where back in years ago we used to have the personality but that was because we were given a bit more freedom yeah to be ourselves bring your personality in your football but now coaches, I'm seeing and finding, it's literally they're making these kids become robotic and they're not letting the kids be free to express themselves and have a bit of personality, have a bit of character. And I remember when I um, when I was still trying to play again, I had a couple of weeks of training at West Ham's Academy. And within two or three minutes there, um, Declan Rice, I instantly like, yeah, that kid's got it. Yeah. That kid's body. And at the time he was captain of the under 23s, I feel. And I think that they did they, they did have high expectations and high hopes. And I remember I did an interview on Radio 5 Live and I said, you know what, well, West Ham's Academy is great. It was good spending time there. But there's a kid out there, that Rice, where I feel that he should be in the first team now, could be in amongst it. He's got everything about him. Like he had that personality. He wasn't scared. He was very polite with me. Told me he members used to watch me from the stands and stuff like that. And you know, calling me a legend and this and that, and now look at the kid. But it's because he's got that personality, and I think that's something that coaches should be able to identify, which I'm sure they do, but should be more vocal in pushing him forward into that first-team environment. So I think after I did the interview like maybe two weeks later, whatever it is, he made his first-team debut, and now look at him go. You yeah. know, but it's, again, it's, it's more nurturing, that personality, nurturing the kids to have, a personality and not be shy to express themselves on a football pitch. I think that's what's lacking a lot in the modern day coaching. Yeah,
0: well. definitely. I think as well, again, something you mentioned there about sort of, you know, um I think it's, it's, it's a sad thing, but it's the English mentality of knock a player when they're expressing themselves and when they're being free. Like, look how much criticism Jack Grealish comes under. But that's what we wanted. We wanted players to be able that's to... But a, it's not yeah. what we wanted.
1: It's, it's what England needs. Because yeah. the thing is, you look at the talent that we have, it's not rocket science. Even with Manchester City, with all the talent that they've got, you can nullify teams like that because yeah. now they're so robotic, you know there's not going to be one or two players who are going to go out of rhythm of the system of what they've been told to do and made to do.
2: Yeah. So
1: sometimes you need that unpredictable player. Yeah. That un- unpredictable player who's just that individual genius is what's needed. And it's great to see like Jack doing what he does, and I just want to see more Jacks because I think it's only going to make football more exciting. Yeah. But again, with, with the players like Jack and stuff, it comes with, a lot of it comes with nurturing him and being in the right environment and having the right coaches. And I think yeah. Dean Smith has been perfect for it because he's just let him go out and play. Yeah. And that's why he's been so successful. You look at him, even if they're, because I'm not a massive stats guy, but you look at his stats compared to everyone else that they're talking is coming through this next England generation. He's got more goals and more assists than a lot of them. Yeah, and a lot of them get a lot more praise than he does. But he's got more goals and assists, and he's more creative, and he's more hard to kind of know what he's going to do because he's so unpredictable.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, totally, I agree. I, I think as well, the thing about the individual stuff, you know, like you said, when we're nur- when, when a lot of coaches are nurturing players, they're nurturing them to become a player. They're not nurturing them to become the individual that they are. And like you said, bring out that personality, and it's yeah. so important because you know, we don't want everybody to be the same. We want people to come out with their individual creativity. We want everyone to be able to, like I said, express the talents that they actually have with themselves or as, as a player themselves. Um yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. But, um, and then when you obviously you came into your sort of first team uh, level, what was it like then? How sort of open was the coaches to, you know, allowing you to be able to play with freedom? And was that dependable upon the managers? And say, for example, if he was at a club and a manager got sacked or changed, did that change the way you have to play at all?
1: Football changes. I tell people all the time. Football changes in a in a heartbeat. Mm. You know, you could be flavor of the month one whole season, and a new manager comes in, and you from being flavor of, of what flavor of the season, a new manager comes in, and you could be on the bench. Yeah. You know, there's it, a lot more downs than ups in football, and I think that's what people need to realize. Whether you're coach or whatever he is, there's a lot more downs than ups. It's a lot about mental strength when I got to the professional level and again a lot is because of how fortunate of how I came through what clubs I came through Wimbledon was always based on the team ethic so it was a team ethic that was great for me because everyone was held accountable and it was all about the team we didn't have one individual superstars or anything like that but I do remember obviously in my younger days watching like Michael Hughes who I thought was a fantastic player tremendous talent you know, you had David Connolly and Neil Shipley with a great striking partnership. And then we had so many youngsters come through our academy. And, you know, I used to watch like Robbie O, um, Carl Lieber and all these guys and uh, Mark Williams. And it was just such a team effort. And that's what it was. And we were coached yeah. to be a team, but also coached positioning wise, what's expected from you in your position. And again, like I said, they show you what the top class players do, make some top class players and what you need to do. And I think that's that's probably the great thing that happened for me coming through that academy because a lot of my actual footballing career and what I learned was stemmed from the foundation of what was installed in me from Wimbledon.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting because, like you said, you, and it's going okay, credit to yourself that you've understood that at such a young and early age, and that's what's helped you, like you said, carry it through into you know, the latter stages because, like you said, obviously football does change so quickly and depending upon which managers come through and some try and rewrite the will and you know, want you to be a completely different player. But like you said, you know, that's what's got you to this stage and also you, again, talking back on the other thing we said, each player has their own individual qualities and traits, so, you know, yeah. why are we going to change a whole Nigel Cocoa when you've had X amount of years as a successful player and also being able to progress throughout the game?
1: It's 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 weird because it's crazy because that's... Um, one of my coaches that I had that was really good with me was Peter Grant. Yeah. And he always said to me, do what you do. He said, don't stop doing what you do because what you're doing is what got you here what works for you. Yeah. And then sometimes you come across some managers who try and change things. And again, we came across the managing period where instead of having one specific position, managers now wanted you to be very versatile and play in different positions. So if you've studied it for so long, it's a problem. It's it's a problem because a lot of players are not that versatile. But when we were coming, what, my time at Aston Villa was when teams started to change. We went from the whole box-to-box midfielders to be now specifically either you're an attacking midfielder or defensive-minded midfielder. So the game changed in that sense. And even now, i still in a disagreement with it because I feel if you can play centre midfield, you should be able to do box-to-box. It shouldn't be just yeah. specific. Sit there and just win the ball back and give it simple. Like it's it's For me, I feel that a half-decent athlete and a half-decent intelligent footballer could do that in most Premier League teams because it's just that easy now. Yeah. Um, uh, with the um, coaching aspect of it, I feel that from the young age, again, as much as, like I said, Coming through Wimbledon was fantastic for me. I was also a student of the game. So I used to ring my coach after every game on the weekend, ask him how I did, what does he think I can improve on? What does he think I need to do? And that was every game from the age of like 15, 14, I was doing that before YT. So I was always a student of the game. And even when they'll be doing coaching sessions, I'll be listening and looking and learning where I was playing centre midfield, but I knew once the right back had the ball, I knew what his first look for his pass was, what his pass, what his first option, second and third options for passes were and would be. Yeah. So I could play off, right, if he picks two or three, then I can plan my run off which one he picks and, and I can see. So I was studying the game while still playing the game. And that's yeah. something I feel that coaches can kind of also get kids to understand. And again, it's, 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 it's effort, it's a lot more, but I think coaching now becomes a bit too generalised which is part of the problem.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think the important part there you mentioned about like, being a student of the game and also the element of understanding, not necessarily if you was in those positions, but understanding what other players may be thinking. Not only is that going to benefit you for your team, but it's also going to benefit you for analysing your position as well. And I can imagine, especially in what you're doing now with the, the media type stuff, again, you're getting a whole nother insight of you know being able to see what's going on and almost predicting what may happen or, you know, analysing why they're doing things?
1: It's, it's, it's funny because it, it, it's it's really, it, it's again, it's about, it's slightly going deeper because a lot of footballers could probably give you the general gist of the game. Yeah. But when you watch some of these games, I think what games I do, not too long ago, I did a game recently and I can't remember what game was it. Ah, it was international versus, I can't remember what team. I think it was Palmeiras, two Brazilian teams. Internacional were playing great. And then as the game went on, I'm seeing them missing so many chances. So I said, when you've been, I've been in these type of games before, you're playing against a team, you could be getting absolutely destroyed. And then they go two one-on-ones and you think, right, you're going to go one-nil down, keeper saves or he misses it. And you're like, how are we still in this game 20 minutes in and we're getting battered? We should be like four-nil down by now. And in a mindset, because I played in them games, I knew exactly what happens. The game continues to progress. Because they keep missing so many chances, we get one chance and we score or we end up winning the game. So that happens a lot in football where you can relate. Someone's just driving their Mustang (laughs) there. That um, happens a lot in football where you can put yourself in games where you can read the game and you can see how it goes. And that was something that I kind of took on as well when I turn professional within the first 10, 10, five minutes of the, or well, five, 10 minutes of the game,
2: yeah.
1: I can read a game to see what's going to happen to them, how it's going to go down. And I can look to see individually teammates to see who's up for it, who's not. And then I can get a sense of where a team's weakness is. And it's kind of similar a bit with basketball, a bit when when a player is hot, he's hot, you give him the ball. Yep. And you can take that same concept as in football if you're on the pitch but you have to have it's very few players who probably do that where if you see a winger's having a great time on the left hand side but then you're getting it and going to the right it makes no sense yeah so you could say like give me that ball let's give it to him go on and you give him encouragement and he just keeps destroying the fullback it's only beneficial for you so it's a bit of a game of chess but again it's kind of a deeper thinking of football and As much as it's a physical sport, you know, having the the athleticism, the the technical ability, and stuff like that, yeah, a lot of football is using your brain.
2: Yeah, you have
1: to use and think about what you're doing, and that comes as part of the coaching and getting players to understand. Even with passing, if you're trying to play a one-touch pass, think about the person that's receiving the ball. How would you like to be if you were that person receiving the ball? Are you playing it safe side? Are you giving it a a cushioned pass where he can play one touch or where he can hit it one time around the corner all of that is from coaching still where players need to learn that at a younger age and be coached to understand that and it's thinking yeah it's not so much the technical aspect because they can get better technically but it's getting them to think
0: yeah I think it's interesting because you mentioned it there a lot of players are taught almost the primary uh, movement within a, within a move. So like you said, the pass is, okay, this is how you're going to pass, low pass, high pass. But like you said, actually, a lot of them don't think or understand or even reflect on, okay, but I have passed it to their their foot, they're facing, you know, they're back on goal. What can they do in that situation? Like you said, if you're thinking about the secondary and even the third element of that movement, Again, you're creating not only these better decision makers, but also you're creating better football because you're helping your team. Making a pass and keeping possession of the ball, I always say this, that's nothing. You know, anybody can play the ball to a teammate and keep possession. Your job is not done as a footballer. Whether that's you just passing the ball to to retain possession or whether it's you passing the ball so then you can make a move as an individual. But like you said, to have those secondary and third elements of that movement already planned out almost within your head, I think that's where players need to be able to, like you said, coaches need to be able to nurture those players for thinking towards that element because otherwise it's lost.
1: It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have to be too like deep, but it's getting them to understand and getting them to think and getting them to ask questions because the world's best players ask questions. And one thing I'll give you, I'll tell you now that what managers do is this, right? If ever a manager gets a job and then they say, oh, we're going young and they want to get all the youngsters in, I'll be worried about that manager straight away. Because if you're going to be a manager or a coach, you want to be the best you can be, you should be able to handle and speak to senior players. Yeah. But once the manager goes in, all of a sudden they want to get rid of all the senior players and bring young players in. It's because they can feed these young players whatever BS they want, where there might be some senior players there to be questioning them, why are you doing this? Because they've got experience and they don't want to be questioned by senior players.
2: Yeah. And they're going
1: to go young players. Young players are still learning the game. So I'm always very skeptical of any manager that takes over any team and says, Oh, I'm gonna go young. It, it just shows to me that you're not gonna be a great manager because you don't want to confront or actually have conversations with senior players who know the game. So you just want to feed these young players BS. Mm-hmm. But like you said, it's about thinking about the game and it's getting the players to understand and telling them, right, we pass the ball there because it's safe side, it's away from the defender. And it gives the striker, if he's already had a look over his shoulder and you've passed it there and you can see the defender coming towards him, because it's already on the safe side, he might be able just to use an outside hook with his body and his movement and turn out there. So it's getting the players to think. And then, even just a simple, of, oh, if you're playing around the edge of the box and a striker, you want a striker to do a one touch setback, again, it's how much pace you put on that ball.
2: Yeah.
1: Put with a little bit, not too much pace on it but he can go to his safe side and then maybe he might just set you one touch and then take two steps sideways, sideways where you might be able to slide him again, slide, where he might be able to slide you back again to go in against the defender straight away. So it's all those type of things getting young players to think about the game and the reasons why they're doing it. Because then when they go onto a football pitch, it becomes muscle memory. We're right. okay, I can see it and that's what they don't understand they don't they they marvel at the Kevin De Bruyne and all this and all that but they don't look or understand it's not just his technical ability yeah it's brain it's his yep. thinking of the game and that's what kids need to understand you have to think about what you're doing it's not just about your physical attributes and your technical attributes you have to think about what you're doing and that's what makes top class players the way that they are
0: of course and and what they don't see as well is the amount of times that probably Kevin De Bruyne has been in those situations and the pass hasn't come off and he's done the wrong type of pass but actually like you said it's because of him thinking and understanding and comparing almost the situations to which he may have been in and seeing the type of runs that players make and you know the type of positions where defenders or oppositions may be which allows him to analyze and, and make the decision okay this is the type of ball I'm going to play this is how much speed. Yeah or pace I'm going to put on the ball. This is the type of uh, height I'm going to put on the ball. And I think that, you know, important for players probably to understand is that it's okay to get things wrong occasionally because what will happen, or what should hopefully happen anyway, is there's that reflection of why didn't this come off? What did I, what type of pass did I make? What type of movements did my teammates make? And I think hopefully that's where you said you get players to reflect and that's that development element of it as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but I was going to say, so obviously... um, you know, again, the way you're speaking and the, the knowledge of the game that you have is obviously unbelievable. And has that sort of come through just yourself or has there been influences from some of the coaches and managers that you've worked with along, along the journey?
1: I'll probably say um, some of the coaches and staff. And then you, you kind of like, I was always, I was a big mouth in the dressing room, big mouth on the pitch, no problem with that. Yeah. But as much as I talk, I do listen, I pay attention to a lot. And for me, I pay attention more to people's characters and personalities So Alan Pardew for me was actually a good coach, good tactician. He probably had some ways where he could rub people the wrong way by some of the things that he says and how he came across. But football wise, he, he was a good coach. And I just think for some people, they just didn't take to him maybe because of the personality clash, because of how he was. He was good. Peter Grant was Alan Pardew's number two, and he was very good. Like, I give full credit to all the coaches I had at Wimbledon. You know, Terry Burton, Stuart Murdoch, Carlton Fairweather, um, Gary Smith, um, Stuart Robson, who does a lot of commentary now and stuff. Like, my my, my coaches at Wimbledon, I never had one bad one. They were all just fantastic, you know, and and they really did bring through a lot of players at Wimbledon, a lot of players. I think with everything really it's 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 just continuing to learn again, thirst for the game. You know, obviously we had the bad news today about Gerard Julio passing away. And for me, he was a he was a fantastic manager. Gerard Julio was absolutely fantastic. And the way he was is he had that personal element as a manager where he would speak to you and this and that. He just wanted regular discipline, just discipline within yourself. And you know having respect for yourself and taking your profession very serious and knowing how fortunate you are to be in the profession that you're in. Sorry, yeah. So Gerard Hule had that personal touch. He was great. So the thing I liked about Gerard Hule was this: I say, you're footballers. Yeah. Everything you do should be with a ball. He did 20 minutes warm up, but every day every warm up was technical warm up, which I still feel no matter how good a player you are, you do it. Whether it's half volleys volleys outside hooks everything because the more you do it guarantee you the more it becomes like second major on the pitch you're not even going to think twice you're going to have the technique in the bag where if the ball's bouncing and you need to do a half volley you do a half volley which looks like an amazing pass but it's because yeah. you do it every day repetitively so he would coach us to do um, there'll be different things i don't want to get too deep in it but he'll coach he'll, co- he'll be able to coach four or five different things in one session like we did one keep ball that we always used to do and in that one type of keep ball he coached four different components of what's important in football so the first is passing and movement keeping the ball in tight areas being comfortable in tight areas to pass and move that ball second was winning the ball and then obviously once once you win the ball the third is keeping possession of the ball yeah. Not giving away straight away, so your entire area. So you just won the ball. You've got to secure at least three or four passes, and get big again. And then it's it's though it's, he coached those things in a simple keep ball. And then for some coaches or managers, you tell them to do that, they won't be able to do it. Yeah, they won't be able to coach players to understand. Say stop. Why don't you pass it there? And if you pass it there, you make your movement over there. You can keep it again and suck them in because now you should be expanding. And because you're expanding, someone should see there's no one in the middle to link up the play. Who's going to come in the middle and be that link man to get the ball and turn? So it's all these type of things that you can kind of coach players to understand, read the game that's going on, right? He's got it there. I need to help him. So I need to go in there. So you coached all that stuff and we'd watch our sessions and stuff and end of the sessions are going to me, Nigel. You know, you never gave the ball away once there in the whole session, the whole training. And it was for me, it was just like, oh, wow, like this guy really pays attention to detail yeah. like that. And he's taking that effort to look around to see who's making the effort, who's giving the ball away, who's not giving the ball away, how many times they do it in a session, and everything. And it was fantastic. He, he really kind of reignited my love for the game again. And I've, I've never um, worked with the Leicester manager, Brandon Rogers, but one of my close teammates that I've played with who liked football, told me that he was fantastic. And he said, because of Brendan Rodgers, he actually contemplated a career, sorry, he contemplated a career in coaching just because okay. of him, how he got the love for the game through Brendan Rodgers, like saying his
2: footballing brain was fantastic yeah. and his approach was fantastic.
1: But a lot, a lot of it is definitely learned from managers. You know, I've learned a lot of what I wouldn't do if I ever got in that kind of situation environment. and. I'll probably say some, some not a lot, but one or two of the managers that I played for were just, just lazy. They just didn't want to coach because yeah. they believe once you played so many games that you should know exactly what's expected from you, which I didn't agree to. I felt that we're still learning. You've got young players at the club. You've got young players coming in. You need to coach. You need to give a foundation of what we need to do because then if things go wrong, as much as it could be a horrible environment to be in, like we could just look at each other and say, well, we don't know what we're doing
0: yeah yeah i agree i think that's like you said coaches should never stop coaching and they should never stop helping to develop a player like you said no matter how old they get and i think it's interesting as well the example you used there about your friend who obviously worked with brendan rogers I almost say to coaches when I'm mentoring them that I think that coaches are kind of, well, if they're doing a good job at coaching, they're almost helping to develop the next crop of coaches when they're coaching their players. Because if you're yeah. giving players the that well, the technical understanding, but then also the game understanding as well, like you said, you know, just listening to you and like I said, the knowledge that you have of the game, that's what you want your players to have. Because you know, we don't just want them to be, like I said earlier on, just technical. We also want them to have that understanding of where, when and why and I think that, yes. you know, sometimes that gets lost because, like you said, coaches or managers or whatever terminology you want to give them, head coaches, they do. They sometimes become lazy because they kind of just get into that motion of, well, I'm just working with my players. And they see the group as a whole. Where, like you said, the example with Gerard Houllier, actually, he's singled out your not the performance, but like, you know, what you've been able to do in that training session. And that is what coaches should be able to do. They should be able to reflect and observe 30 people moving around. But be able to highlight what's going on with each individual rather than just the group. It's, stuff it's, well. it's,
1: it's, in a way, it's it's paying attention to detail, yep. and that's what you're supposed to do. You you got to pay attention to detail because these players and these people are going to represent you. And to a certain degree, I, like you said, I think the problem with football now is footballs become so fashionable now that a lot of these coaches and stuff are just happy to have an affiliation or association yep. with a club so they can walk around with their their club okay. badge and that they're in this football club, and it's like. Okay, but you have no idea about coaching. And yeah. it's, it, it, it's really about that individualism as well. You can you can generalise to a certain bit, but you've got to be individual and seeing what's what and what players... Every, not every player is the same.
2: Yeah.
1: Players are stimulated by different things. And it's about spending that little effort and that time with this player... It's a game to understand what's what, what you need to work on, what you can get do better at, what top-class players do if you want to be in that bracket, what proven Premier League players do if you want to be in that bracket and getting them to break down and understand the game. And even if you say to some coaches now, most coaches go through your entire team, if you're playing a 4-4-2, explain to your strikers what you want from them in a game, what they need to do in a game to classify them having a good game. Yeah. And not just say, oh, score goals. Yeah, no, like it, it, it's more than just scoring goals, you know. You've got to defend from the front, make it hard for the center backs to bring the ball out, running down the channels, holding up play. Like, if the ball comes up to you, it has to stick, you know. Yeah. Unless you're under severe pressure, you can be forgiven for that. In the first half, as a striker, you've got to have at least four attempts on goal, and they all have to be on target in both halves, you know. You got like so, it's breaking down the game. A real specific level where a kid can take it on board. Okay, these are what I need to do. These are my check marks to make sure I have a good game. It doesn't matter what formation you're coming across or who you're playing against, the things don't change. Like even in midfield, center midfield, it will be second balls. How many second balls do you win? And these are the days of playing box to box. It'll be how many second balls do you win? How many balls get played easily into the striker that you don't cut off? How many times do you break up play? How many times do you make the opposition box? How many shots did you have in the first half? Yeah, and, and then when you cross the ball from our wide area, like Steven Gerrard used to do when he was cut back, did you beat the first man? So you can put specific points. How many runs in behind the striker did you make? Third man runs in the first half, even if you don't get the ball. But people who scout, people who know the game at the highest level, can see all of that and yeah. recognise that. And that's the difference. I don't think a lot of these coaches could go through Their team formation and break it down to every kid to say, right, this is what you need to do every game to make sure to to, to say to me that you've had a good game. You know, it's set for fullbacks. How many times you overlap the the wide man? Yeah. Regardless, you get the ball or not. How many times you overlap in the first half? How many crosses did you get in? How many of your crosses beat the first man? How many pullbacks did you do? How many good decisions? Like, it's just simple things like that. and these kids understand now at a higher level by just having bullet points
0: yeah yeah i agree i I think it's interesting as well because i often say as well again because there's so much coach education that's come about now you know coaches need to be careful because you know there could be a player who's about 10 years old and they're almost more knowledgeable than the coach that's coaching them because of the elements that they've been exposed to and experienced through different people's uh, knowledge understanding and just through their own experience of playing and like you said I think what coaches often neglect in doing is just actually spending time to do things. Like I spoke to occasional uh, some some players in, in past discussions and they said like they often see it, especially at the higher level, just how much detail goes into coaching and how important that detail is as well. Because like you just said. You know, when you break it down, like that if they spend the time, it's not that hard. You know, a lot of them they look at the whole team or units potentially, and they'll go right. This is what I want defenders to do. But like you said, a fullback's position is completely different to a centre back's position. Um, exactly. When you're in possession and when you're out of position as well. Like again, they just put you know the defenders. Okay, out of position. No. What about when defenders? Are, when your team's in possession. Defenders, fullbacks. What do you need to do? Especially in this modern game as well. We're seeing a lot of, say for example, the Liverpool. How effective Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold are.
2: But they're defenders,
0: but yeah. they're so it's true. There needs to be a breakdown of, I called it roles and responsibilities of players. And, you know, it almost gives, like you said there, a little checklist of players' reflection and self-assessment of, have I been successful within this game? Have I been successful when my team's in possession, out of possession? And you know, I yeah. think you mentioned a little while ago, what coaches often neglect sometimes as well, transition. You know, we speak so much about attacking, defending, but that transition of, like you said, the change, Okay, our team's in this shape when we're in position. Oh, we lost the ball now. What happens now? What's our roles and responsibilities? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Where, and, and, and again, a lot of, the, of what you said there as well is the biggest thing defensively in that as well is what a lot of teams struggle with is seeing the danger.
0: Yep. Predicting. So many
1: players don't recognise right now, right, they're breaking on us now. Where's the danger? What's the danger? Who's running with the ball? How good a passer is he? Who's making maybe a running behind? What is it? So if you know someone running the ball that's not that great, you know you could take the risk and close him down because you probably crumble under pressure. But if you know someone's going to make the pass, your best bet is sticking with the runner following this runner, making sure it's difficult for him when he receives the ball. Recognising danger is something a lot of players don't do or not capable of doing or seeing now in the modern game. The best probably for me is is Kante at Chelsea. He's probably the best player who actually recognises and sees danger. It's not just his high energy and technical ability. It's he reads the game and sees danger. That's the, it's not, it's not just by luck he does it. It's not like no, no disrespect because he was a legend as well. It's not like Gattuso. yeah, like how he was. But Kante really recognized and sees danger like Makaleli. Yeah. He didn't have to run around all over the place, but he saw the danger, saw where the pass would go. And, and again, that's part of that educating these kids to think about the game. It's seeing danger. And that comes to coaching. You can do simple yeah. sessions, whether it's attack the defense and you can get defenders to understand where's the danger you know if you're playing a game if this is Ronaldo that's running at you what are you going to do where's the danger you know how can you nullify the danger or whatever it is sometimes you just have to be honest and say well you know what put your hands up that's an amazing goal there's nothing you can do about it yeah. but it's, it's that aspect as well of educating it and it, it's amazing the deeper you get into this conversation and everything because you realize also when you come across different players from different cultural backgrounds and countries, their approach to football is completely different and the mindset and everything. Just to break that down quickly, doing the Copa Libertadores, the big difference between the Copa, well, South Latin American football and European football is discipline. Yep. Latin American footballers play with so much freedom. Managers let them play with freedom and do all sorts. It's crazy because, funny enough, the teams that are doing well now in Brazil all European managers that were in charge okay. This made Okay. because they brought that more discipline to their games and now these teams are thriving but that is the biggest difference where these players still got there and expressed themselves I said the only difference when Latin American players come to Europe is, is they learn a bit more disciplined environment they learn that they can't get away with what they were doing back home in Europe because if you don't do what the manager tells you if you don't fit in a team structure you're not going to play Yeah, unless you're like a Neymar. So that's, that's all kind of understanding that concept as well. And then, you know, there's certain words and, and, and things that are used that might offend some foreign players where you've got to be careful because it's, it's a different culture. So there is there is a lot that goes into it. But again, i probably say that one of the biggest thing is it's probably just the human element. It's just how willing are you to be knowledgeable and learn about the game and have that human interaction and push yourself to be the best you can be and understanding not one shoe fits all.
0: Yeah, of course. I, I sometimes say as well to parents mainly, but like, you know, when they're talking about they want their child, their son or their daughter to be basically, you know, progressive in the game, I sometimes say, listen, there is no magic answer, but it's almost a mixture of talent, motivation and opportunity. You know, the talent potentially you can see from as an individual and you reflect on that and go, yeah, that person's got talent or could be a good player. But the motivation and opportunity, motivation obviously comes from within. And like you said, it's that motivation of wanting more. And, you know, like I said, at the beginning, you mentioned it being consistent you know not just thinking i've got there now what do i need to do and how do i continue and keep the position that i'm in but then also as well the opportunity so like you said some of these players from south america who might come over to europe you know they're getting the opportunity so they're almost more hungry than some of the potential players who are currently in europe and may think well I'm fine, I've got a position where I am, and maybe don't take the opportunity. Like for yourself, for example, where you've gone and taken the opportunity to go abroad and play as well. And it's credit because you know, you take the opportunities. Number one, you become a better understander and and uh, more learning goes in from the game element of it. But then also as well, you're having to almost adapt yourself and understand, like you said, almost what's the culture like in America, and you know, what knowledge do they have and how do I bring my experiences and mix that in with their knowledge and their understanding and what they want to bring out of it almost so yeah
1: it's different like us it, it can be frustrating because like I said I was always a student of the game I took yeah. it very serious and then you come to certain places and it's it's just it's it's mind-boggling sometimes you have to get the balance right and just you know just do your, your yoga pose and just say I'm just down to 10, just relax because again over here it, it's it's like i said football's become so fashionable now yeah. so a lot of people just want to be associated with the club but when it comes to the football knowledge and the direction, they actually haven't got a clue. It's just BS. A lot of coaches, they get their coaching badges and they coach like a book tells you. Life doesn't have a book where you can look into it. Like, you don't know what life's going to throw at you. You've got to be able to to coach. As long as you make sense, that should be the biggest thing and have your own ideas. The coaching badges just give you a foundation of basic things that's needed. You should be free to be... There's more than one way to win a football match. So it's how you want to pursue the game to what you believe is right. You look yep. at now company, like everyone, Arsenal now, Arteta. I'm sure Arteta is heavily influenced by Pep. Yep. But that's Pep's ideas. You yep. can't be Pep. Yep. So you have to be yourself and bring your own ideas and principle. And it's like, he's trying to bring the Man city way to Arsenal and it's just not working. They don't have those players. Yeah. For so me personally, I look at the club, the culture and all different things. I look at the culture of the club and stuff. You look at Arsenal, Arsenal, for me, are crying out for Diego Simeone.
2: Yeah. That's the
1: type of manager, that's the type no, I'm going to go, that's the type of manager that Arsenal need yeah. because of the culture of the club. And You look at when Arsenal had success, yes, they played football, but they had some real dirty characters. Tony Adams, Keown, Loren, Thierry Henry, Vieira, Overmars, Burkamp, as, as technically gifted as Dennis Bergkamp was. He was a dirty player. You rub him the wrong way. He had that fight in him. Arsenal been lacking that for so many years. Of
2: course. And again,
1: it's supposed to, like I said, about you've kind of... It's it's how you just look at the game. You know, it's not just simple. The foundations will never change, but you've also got to be thinking about different things of, of kind of what's going on, the club, the culture, the fans, and kind of what's needed and what brought them success to where they're at now. And um, over here, like I said, it was an eye-opener. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there, you'd be watching Premier League games before our game, and for me, I wasn't kind of a fan of that. I think you need to concentrate on your own game. And then you'll be telling some of the coaching staff and uh, the physios and stuff what you used to do in England, but they'll be trying to tell you
2: yeah, what they're doing
1: here. But yet they're sitting there marveling at the Premier League and you're sitting there like, I was playing in there at 20 years old. I'm telling you how it happened. You guys have got no experience of ever going over there, but yeah. you're telling me everything that you're doing here is right now. And it's, it's just so... And that's why for me, it's sad to say, America itself and like North America, wherever it is, have not produced world-class players or high-level class players or even managers because they're just so programmed to do book work and lack that real connection of understanding the game at a deeper level and talking to players and developing players. And they're just so happy to be part of a club with their badge and you know, living in the suburbs and it's it's, it's it's absolute BS. Yeah, They were trying to tell me what I've been doing for most of my career and trying to reinvent me where they've never been there, but they've heard seminars and spoken to people who work there. And I'm like, you sit there and watch what I was doing at 20 years old, but then yet you're trying to tell me something different. And it's and that's why they don't produce top class players. And a lot of the players that are coming from or in that American realm now, they were produced in Europe yeah of course Davis is not really a product of Canadian football he's Canadian but he's not their product yeah (laughs) everything's in Europe
2: yeah
0: no of course no listen I think like I said it's been a fascinating insight and I think I agree I think you know coaches just need to have that bigger mindset of having their own identity but listen Nigel I won't take up any more of your time Um, I know you're busy
1: I apologise to people (laughs) because I'm on daddy daycare duties today so listen let me know how it goes if people want to hear more we can do a part two. So the ball's in your court. We can carry on.
0: Fantastic. And like I said, Nigel, thank you very much for getting up the time. Um and hopefully people can take stuff away from this and yeah, get good insight to it. Bye. Make sure that you follow and subscribe to the Daily Coaching Podcast so that you never miss out on an episode.